Well, we've got a little taste of winter. I kind of liked it the other way, but that's okay. Well, let's take our Bibles uh, once again, and let's turn to the book of Luke. Uh, we were there last week, and I'd like to take just a little different angle on uh, that passage uh, today, and hopefully bring up, uh, because there, there's something we kind of got started on, even though we got there for a different reason, but I think it's important for us to see a foundational truth here that uh, Jesus lays out. But Luke chapter 12, and uh, we will read, uh, begin reading at verse 1. And we'll go through verse 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning now at verse 1. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware you of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yes, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, shall him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. When they, and when they bring you into the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take you no thought how or what thing you shall answer or what you shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word. And, Let's just pause for prayer this afternoon before we begin our study. Uh, Father, once again, we come into your presence, and we're thankful for you being here with us. We ask also, Father, that uh, today would be that time, these moments before us, that you would reveal to us more truth. You would use the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit would unfold, unveil, and reveal your truth. Uh, Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather around your Word and to be get together now uh, this group, and uh, Father, we would ask that you be with them that have come out today, that you would bless them for their desire to learn and to be uh, praising and worshipful of you. We'd ask that there, rec- anything that's in their life, Father, that uh, needs attention, that you would wrap your arms around them, give them exactly what they need. Father, we'll rest on you for these moments ahead, asking the Holy Spirit to be our sole teacher. We would ask that the word would go out, it would be refreshing, it would be instructive, revealing, and enlightening. Well, thank you now for what you're going to accomplish, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, last week as we went to Luke chapter 12, it was uh, along the line of fearing God, and uh, essentially we went... Uh, through that, and one, I don't even know if I left you with this, but um, if you are fearing God, there is literally nothing else to fear. 
If you fear God, there is nothing else to fear. But I'd like to go back and maybe just, well, let's just start again, if you will, because there's something underlying what Jesus is saying here to this large group of people. We started there last week in verse 1 of chapter 12. Uh, it says an innumerable multitude. How many of you have been in an innumerable multitude of people? Have any of you been in a group of 50,000? Have you? Okay, where were you at? Okay. Okay. Minnesota Vikings. Okay. There aren't that many now. They only three, forty-three <laughs> people come. <laughs> I'm not even going to go down that branch. Yeah. Exactly. And probably, interestingly enough, uh, probably most of you that would recollect maybe one of the larger places that you've been in uh, in attendance with a, a mass of people may have been very much that a sporting event. Um, there's one happening today that there will be a lot of people not only engaged in the stadium, but worldwide literally watching and viewing. And this was a really critical time. It was almost, if you will, a climax in Jesus's journey. I called it a Jesus rally last week. Um, and it's, there, there's a whole lot of, in fact, what, you're going, what you see, if you, if you take a step back and you watch this from the course of history, seeing how Jesus, three years previous... Not quite, but about three years previous, he would have begun his ministry, and things just kind of take off very slowly. He develops very quickly 12 disciples to surround him with. Those are his learners, those ones that would walk with him. And, and they are being led and trained as they go along. And, and obviously the signs, wonders, and miracles, which was to give the sense of evidence to who Jesus was. Again, again, what does uh, Emmanuel mean? That's a word that we speak of during the time of the celebration of his birth. Emmanuel means God with us. And literally, if you, if you work through, through the passages and revolving around that, uh, literally, Jesus is the revealer of God the Father. Okay? And what Jesus is doing now is he has this massive amount of a people surrounding him. And I think most of them, actually, the, the, maybe the, the reasons for them to be in attendance may be very, dis, very what, what do I want to say? There's not a single reason for them to be there. there. There's many different thought processes. There's a whole lot of religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees, that are there. They have one purpose in mind, and that is to literally catch him in something so that they can, at the very least incarcerate him, and at the very best, to execute him. They really want to take him out. They see him not, of, of nothing other than an impersonator and one that is trying to betray them in their quest for God, of which now the other thing I want to say is they have been very saturating, very permeating in the sense of the rest of the Jewish lifestyle, the Pharisees and, and scribes particularly. Now, now, for a moment, let's just... Uh, talk about that for a second. The scribes are really, they would be the theologians from within the Pharisees, okay? Scribes are Pharisees, but there was that, I'm, this is my word, but it would be the elite part of that Pharisees that this is where the theology would have been derived to determine this whole system of works. And the scribes were those people, okay? So both of them, even though we, we list them as two, they're, they're, Pharisee, they're Pharisees, but their whole message was the sense of rules, and works, and a system where they would earn their goodness and ultimately earn salvation. 
that is very different than what Jesus said. Now, the other thing is that we know about Jesus. He is a watershed. I mean, he's, he's like the continental divide, if you might say. You don't just get there without running into him. You're not going to cross the other side. He's going to cut through it, and he's going to display exactly where your heart is, which totally would annoy them. At, again, annoy them, but also anger them, and they're there for that reason. There's also others that are there for another reason. They've watched Jesus heal. They've watched him provide literally meals. I was going to say meals on wheels, but if you understand what I'm saying, it was, it was amazing to watch what he accomplished. And they're there for, for the healings, for the physical attraction of what he can provide for them. They don't want to miss out on a free lunch. And then there's those that he's describing. And it's interesting, Jesus, again, how he's so, dis- so discreet uh, and how he addresses. Now, there's, I would, I would, I'm going to guess there's tens of thousands of people here. Now, not all of them, I'm convinced, can hear what he's saying. And that's why they said that they were tri- tr- they trod upon one another. In other words, there's almost like this continual, almost like a, a whirlpool. I mean, there's somebody who says, well, I'm going to move up now. And then, you know, they just almost like push one another out of the way to just hear what's going on. The other part of it, there's people there that he describes, Jesus now, as disciples. Now, not his inner circle of disciples, but those who would describe that word there would be learning, a learner. They are taking Jesus and they're just saying, you know, I, need, I want to know more about him. There's enough signs, there's enough wonders, there's enough miracles. I need to know more about him, but not made a commitment. They're there to just learn more. And then there's those, I think, are just kind of on the stuff, but uh, on, the, on the outside saying, I can't wait to see this next duel between Jesus and the religious people. You know, there's something about that, having that match debate. So there's numbers of different reasons for them to be there, but nonetheless, a huge gathering of people. And this is, what is Jesus going to say? What is he going to say? Now, again, we focused last week on the sense of the importance of fearing God the Father. Now, what he said, there's actually in this chapter 12, I'm not sure how far we're going to keep going. We may continue to go through Luke here for a ways because there's, this, it almost sets us up in a really nice context. Um, in chapter 12, there are two bewares. And the first one is in verse 1. Let's read it again. We read it last week, but I want you to see when, when Jesus says beware, beware. It says... Uh, the last part, well, we'll read verse 1 from the beginning. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, they began to say, he, he, I'm sorry, he began to say unto his disciples, that is the learners, first of all, beware you of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Uh, now, he describes the very essence. It's like he's taking an example, an analogy, and then he describes what that analogy is about. So he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, if you were there, the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, as I recall, leaven in the, in the religious system of Judaism, that's not a good thing. So now what Jesus is saying, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, which that would be, from their perspective, that's, that's an oxymoron. How could that possibly be together? And then he, then he names it, which is hypocrisy. Now, this again, hypocrisy can come in a lot of different ways. And, and again, just refresh me. What is hypocrisy? What is a hypocrite? A pretender. That's exactly right. So in this case, the Pharisees, which would have been the super elite religious people, they would have been pretending that they knew God, but they didn't. 
they claimed to be righteous, but they weren't. They said they were seeking the truth and had the truth, but they didn't. They were very different in reality to what they pretended to say and be and, and what they said they were. And Jesus says, beware of hypocrisy. Now, again, and we talked about it from this flight. Um, Jesus was setting something up in the sense of um, the fear of man. The fear of man probably is one of the most powerful forces in the world in which we find ourselves living. We can say it under different, have you heard the word peer pressure? And we, uh, most of the time we address it to um, adolescents, teenagers, those that are in school and all of that surrounding thing. And there's a whole lot of just kind of, uh, you know how it is? I mean, they're just trying to find their way. And someone's got a new great idea that's really stupid. But rather than saying that it's stupid, everybody just follows along. You know what I'm talking about. It's kind of the sheep syndrome. If one sheep goes, well, they all got to follow. Correct? Now, the really weird part about peer pressure is we really never get out of it. You can be 108, and I'm saying that because I know there's not one person in this room that's 108. But you're still subject to peer pressure if you fear men. I watched this week, uh, and you probably did, without naming names, in our United States of America, at different levels. Governmentally, there's a whole lot of fear of men that's going on there. And there's a whole little of the fear of God. Because where there's the fear of God, there is no fear of men. And Jesus is saying, as long as you understand that the hypocrisy is really where the fear of man is, it's, it's like a linchpin. It's like a, it's a, it's a I, I don't even have the right word, a post that's really driven. And it just, you are, you are tied to that as long as you're in this sense of, hypocrisy, especially from a religious standpoint. And I talked about it briefly last week. Um, think of the cults or the different religions that are false. Just think of one in your mind. And there's a number of them. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna disseminate that in a second. What makes a false religion? What makes hypocrisy? Now, all of them claim to know God, right? Every religion claims to know God. But if you look at the ways to get to God that they unfold for us or unpack for us, there's no way that they could all be right. And literally, there is only one truth. There's only one truth. But all of those that really are of the spirit of Antichrist, I'm going to use that for, for this moment anyway, is the sense that they're intimidating people with fear. Now, the fear of God, I've said this a number of times in the last couple of weeks, a true fear of God should always lead you to God and not away from Him. I can think of a lot of cults today that literally the fear of God drives you to men, to systems, to a religion, not toward God. And we can tell the difference from what they say about God. And all of this is taking place. Now, where, we, where it's going to differ a little bit from last week is I want us to be very careful to see what he's laying down here is a foundational truth of how one is saved. 
how salvation, and he's talking about eternal life. There's a lot of people there that are looking for advancement. They're looking for, in fact, if you, if you just, this is, really, this is really almost weird. But we read the first 12 verses, and I'm trying to bait you to be back next week. Okay? It's early in the sermon to do that. But, but let's look at something. As Jesus, now there's no sense, the flavor of the first 12 verses Man, I'm telling you what, this is heavy-hitting stuff. Watch out for the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the scribes. And make sure that you fear God who can take life eternally versus the fear of man, which really, literally can just take away your physical life. And then it talks about confessing Jesus Christ, which, again, I'm, I'm maybe getting a little bit ahead, but we talked about it last week anyway. The only way you can get to God... Now, the, the Jews have said... I'm going to be careful. The Pharisees have said their system is, we believe in God. We believe in the God of Israel. We believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We believe in the creator of the universe. But Jesus said, unless you confess the son, the confessing is to say exactly the truth, then you're not going to get to God. You can't get to God without Jesus Christ. Anyone that says that there is one God and Jesus Christ, God the Son, is not part of that God is totally, completely false. In fact, let's look at a couple of verses. No, I, I wanted to bait you first, though, didn't I? I want you to, because I told you there was two bewares. Did anyone want to know what the second one was? Very good. See, I led you right in there. You just, oh, you just came right through that right with me, didn't you? The first one was to beware of the leaven of, of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, that would be on the religious side. That's on the spiritual side. That's the sense of really seeking and looking at it, a way of error, to love error. Now, turn with me. Now, again, I want you to get in the context. This, this oftentimes, this next story that we'll probably talk about next week, Lord willing, is it, it almost seems it's like a different time frame. It's like a different meeting. But what Jesus is talking about is very, very serious. Now watch. Let's read verse 13. Of all of this, and, and this, this is not, we're not going to talk about it today, but it's so interesting that the second beware comes out of this. Verse 13. And one of the company. See, this is not a different meeting. This is not a different multitude of thousands of people. It's the same one. One of the company said on him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And I'm here to say, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? <laughs> it was almost like he was sitting in the crowd, and, I am all, and I'm, I'm, I'm confident of this. And I said I wasn't going to talk about this, but I will for just a second. You're convinced, aren't you, that this man... Now, he, Jesus knows nothing of him. I'm convinced that his brother is there with him because he's asking Jesus, the word he uses, teacher or rabbi, which, by the way, the Pharisees were very big on that, lining out some inheritance problems. Okay? So he's, he's come there with nothing else in mind except using Jesus' authority to finally tell his rat brother to share and divide the inheritance with me. So his brother's probably there. I'm convinced he is. Why else would he say that? You know, what's went, you, know what, you know what they got out of the first 12 verses? By the way, there are no verses in the Bible, but originally. What, what did those two brothers get out of this? Well, I don't know about the second one. He's not even announced. Zoom, right over their head. Missed it all. And then Jesus goes on to say this, the second beware. He said unto him, verse 14, Man, 
No, that's not an endearing term. He just, you know, this guy just steps out of the crowd. Who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, oh, did you see? I didn't see that till right now. Both the brothers are there. Them. There they are. And he says, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Watch out for all greed. There's two bewares that he's talking. And you know, it literally encapsulates all of the problems that we could encounter about not being saved. You get the wrong religion, the wrong spirit. In other words, hypocrisy. Someone says they know the way to God, but they don't. And then the other side of it is greed. Now, I want you, and what I wanted you to see was, do you see how encapsulated that one brother was particularly? He missed everything else around him because his mind, his heart was totally ensnared by greed. Jesus is speaking to him and he missed it all. Isn't that amazing? Those are the two bewares that he sends up. Beware of greed and beware of hypocrisy. And I'm going to tell you, it seemed, and you know, some, at first glance you say, well, he's kind of like picking two out of a really big basket. No. Those two define the things that keep you away from Jesus Christ. Keeping you away from God. Okay, now I want to come back. I, I set you up because it's amazing that the severe and what Jesus is doing is he's lined out for this group, these that are learning about him, that's who he's addressing. He doesn't care about the ones that came for the goodies. He doesn't care about the ones that are coming to fight. He's not concerned at all about the Pharisees and scribes. He's concerned about those that are there that want to know more about him. And he's opening this theme for them to get a further and a more correct viewpoint of what he's all about. Ah, now, I've got to come back where I was. Oh, one of the things I want to be careful to say, and would you not say this is right? Let's, let's talk about hypocrisy for a minute. He likens it to leaven. What do you know about leaven? What's another word for leaven? Yeast. Okay, what does yeast do? It raises bread. I mean, I, I remember just as a little kid, um, mom knows a lot more about this than I do. But, I, you know, as, as the bread, as, as she's making bread, and what did you do with bread? You, you would have a, she would have a towel over it, and it would be in a warm place. And you waited for the yeast to do its work, correct? It was also an opportunity for a young little boy <laughs> to slip in underneath the towel. And take a little bit and take off, right? And there was always less bread than mom thought there was. <laughs> Has anyone ever done? No, no I'm not going to incriminate anyone else on the planet here. Okay, just me. But the interesting part is, um, did you see, it didn't take a lot of yeast. If you would take the amount of yeast, there was, uh, and I don't, really, I don't even know how you do it. Now. A little packet of, I mean, literally a little packet. And that little packet went a long ways, didn't it? It got her done. We talked last week about the sense of permeation. There wasn't part of it that wasn't permeated with yeast. It all is. You know, it's very much like that. Jesus' whole analogy to this was the pretend, the hypocrisy. When you start with a little bit of pretend, a little bit of untruth, a little bit of compromise, you know what happens? It's just the same thing that happens to that bread. It permeates through the whole thing. And the other thing I've seen is when there's a little bit of pretend, it's just like making the ego rise up just like that bread. That's, you know, remember, remember that bowl? No matter how big your bowl is, it's not big enough. It's always over the edges, right? It's right. 
<laughs> and you know what? It's the same way. When we are sucked into this pretend game, we couldn't stop it if we wanted to. That's why he said beware. Those, Sadd- those Pharisees were so far gone, they had missed the importance of God revealing. Now, let's try to get back to where I wanted to go or where God wants to take us today. Is, is Jesus Christ came to the earth, first of all, to reveal the Father, God the Father, to the earth's inhabitants. It says, if you see me, you have seen the Father. And what did they say of him? Take your Bibles and turn back to chapter 11. Of, of Luke. This had taken place not too long uh, previously. And let's go to verse 14. <clears throat> Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Now keep this in mind. We're going to read this, this short section because it helps us to see what Jesus is really, really warning against. Luke chapter 11, verse 14. He was casting, and he, that's Jesus, was casting out a devil. And it was dumb. It came to, and it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake. Someone that could not speak. And the people wondered. Now, again, watching that, there's people watching this develop. It doesn't give us a lot of, a lot of insight, a lot of clues. But obviously, this person had been not able to speak. Jesus saw him as being demon-possessed. And however Jesus did it, guess who won? Jesus. And all of a sudden, this guy speaks. And there's people, there's probably people that knew him for a long period of time. Whoa, what was that about? Now watch what the Pharisees say. Verse 15. But some of them said, He that he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. (laughs) Do you see what they just called Jesus? They call him a son of Satan. Ultimately, now, <laughs> do you see the significance of that? That's really where they're living, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They do not see Jesus Christ. For them, they see Jesus' life and his claims that he who has seen me has seen the Father. I mean, they're picking up rocks, aren't they? They're going to stone it. They call him what I, I want you to use the word, it starts with a B. He was a, okay, we're going to work on this one then. <laughs> this is the word that for them was Big, it was a big deal. And it's interesting, Jesus used the same word in describing if they, got, if they didn't respond to the Spirit properly, that would never be forgiven. But they thought that Jesus, because he declared himself to be equal with God, he was a... Whoops, now I can't even spell. This is the wrong color. Let's not try green on the board. Let's try something you can see. Okay, let's try orange. We're going to try an orange marker. They called him... A blasphemer. A blasphemer. He's claiming to be God. In fact, at one point he said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that'll get you fired up. And then what are they, where do they automatically go? Isn't, isn't this guy the carpenter's son from Nazareth? And he's saying he's before Abraham? Let's kill him. Okay, so do you see the significance of the signs, wonders, and miracles? That was to provide proof that he is who he says he is. Which ultimately, to confess him is to say that very same thing, is saying who he is. But if they say that about him, there's no way to get to the Father. Let's take a couple of verses. I think we might have done this last week, but it's okay to review. 
Uh, I'm going to have to cut through. Uh, see, where do we find that? I think it's in. Let's go to. I'm going to just. Let's go to John chapter five. John chapter five, verse twenty-three. We're kind of moving along in a little different um, schematic than I had written down, but that's okay. John chapter five, and verse twenty-three. <clears throat> John chapter five, verse twenty-three. That all men. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent me. That verse is monstrous, absolutely monstrous. What he has just done now is he has made this huge divide in front of this massive group of people. And those Pharisees and scribes have said, This Jesus is a snake. He's a son of Satan. And Jesus is saying, you'll never, never, ever get to the Father unless you confess me. Never. Just as you need to honor God, you need to honor the Son. Let's review one, uh, another thing that we uh, talked about last week. Um, do you remember there was three reasons that we gave to fear God the Father. Three, three things we talked about. Anybody got them in your notes? What was number one? Everything will be real. Everything will be real. There's hypocrites today that are under, the, under wraps. They're, the, 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 they're covered by probably additional lies, uh, circumstances, whatever it might be. And you know what? God's going to reveal everything. That, all of that coverage is going to rip it off and all of that's going to be revealed. All going to be revealed. Number two, what was the second one? Literally, all that's what's going to happen. If you pretend, and I'm talking religiously now at this point, okay? If you say that you know the way to God and you don't, that makes you a hypocrite. And as that, if that's, if you stay on that course, you will go to hell. And who can send you there? Only God the Father. Not men, not anyone else. Only God the Father. And number three, he knows everything. everything. We talked about, it was almost like a a pretty quick transition, but the point was God knows everything. He knows the very hairs on your head. Everyone in the universe. That's a lot of people. And I got to believe that every single day, that number is probably going down in a lot of us. (laughs) If you're a youngster, it may be going up. But it's, I don't know where that starts, but when it, and God knows all, he's never learned anything. God, think of that. God has never learned anything. He's known everything as long as there was anything to be known. I'm not doing that justice because he's infinite. But think of that. There's nothing that escapes him. Those are three reasons that Jesus gave for us and them to fear God. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 10 and verse 16. Luke 10, verse 16. Oops, that's 9. That won't work. That Actually, uh, Luke 9 talks about him uh, giving a whole lot of bread to a whole lot of people. But verse 16 of Luke chapter 10. Watch Jesus' words here. He that heareth, you heareth me. And he that despises you despises me. 
And he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. Ooh. <laughs> right in the Pharisee's face. And he's speaking of God. If you're going to despise me, then you're despising the Father. That must have had to set them back. Well, then we didn't know what he's talking about, right? That's the other thing that's interesting. Is how do they how can how can they that are in error? Oh, I'm jumping in a little too fast. That's okay, I'll pose the question. So there are a lot of people today, there are only only two people, those that have accepted Jesus Christ and those that haven't. Okay? So the ones that haven't, why don't they? There being no answers. And actually, there are several answers to that. But one of them that is key, a key component. Now, I want to go back to the Pharisees. The Pharisees, what, what else do they need to know about Jesus? Let's go back to the contemporary. Slip into the sandals of those people that day. We really, I mean, we, we're reading about it, right? They were there. They were there. How do you stand at a group and watch five to 10,000 people be fed abundantly, and you still got stuff left over? And he started with how many fish and how many loaves of bread? How do you look at that and say, huh, no big deal. What? How about, how about Lazarus? Now, this is a little closer. We haven't seen that yet. But Lazarus, he gets there late, right? Intentionally. How many times in your life did you say, God, if you just show up, this would be a good time. And you know what? It looks like he's late, but you know what happens usually? He's late so that he is glorified. And he makes it look, he makes you see how big he really is. What do you think of those two sisters if you'd have been there two days before Lazarus died? And he sort of like said, you know, Lazarus, you're going to be okay. And he was. What were the sisters thought? Well, he's the good medicine man, right? But no, he waited. He waited three or four days after he's dead. And he comes in and the sisters are distraught. And there's Jews around, they're hanging around there. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. Well, anybody can do that. No, they can't do that. I mean, what more do you need, right? And you know what it said? They literally wanted to kill Lazarus, who was an evidence of something that Jesus had miraculously done. Rather than accept the truth, accept the sign, accept the exhibition that proved that Jesus was who he said he was, they still denounced him. Why is that? What is going on? What's going on? Control. The fear of men is still sur- surpasses almost anything else. You know what kept a lot of them in the... Remember, think of Nicodemus. Now, he eventually came out of that pack. I'm convinced, when I read the Bible, and I could be wrong, maybe it was just a matter of scheduling, but I'm convinced. If you go to John chapter 3, don't do it now, but just read it on your own account. John chapter 3, there was a man by the name of Nicodemus. He's a, he's a religious leader. What time of the day did Nicodemus choose to go see Jesus? At night. I'm convinced there's a reason for that. Under the veil of darkness. He's got questions. But do you think he'd call the other religious? You know, why don't we go down and have a conference with Jesus? Let's see if he could come over and speak to us and let us see what he's... Of course not. The fear of man would have driven that away. But you know what? There was something that overpowered that. He said, I'm going to go tonight to see what Jesus has to say. 
And did you see to start with? It just went over his head. Jesus said, you know, I, I, I verily, verily say, you must be born again. Nicodemus. What? <laughs> How could I be entering back into my mother's womb? I mean, womb right over his head, right? And Jesus kept talking. And we know that Nicodemus came to Jesus late. I don't know when, but somewhere in that. And it was because he must have feared Jesus enough to find out the truth. Now, how do we get the truth? How do we get the truth? I'd like to go to another passage. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. I'm not going to answer that question for a while yet. So, Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I'll get there sooner or later. And let's look at verse 23. 1 John chapter 2, verse 23. It's pretty, pretty direct. In fact, let's... Uh, verse 22. 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? Christ being the anointed one, the Christos, the coming one, the anointed one that God would have declared and prophesied way back in the Old Testament. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Look at verse 23. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. And you see, I'm showing you these verses because it's just one after another. There's no disputing this. You know, it just wasn't just an accident that it came out that it was always that way. Let's go back to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and let's see the description of Jesus here. Romans chapter 10, and let's look at verses 9 and 10. Romans chapter 9. Oh, I'm sorry. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. There we go. Romans 10, 9. That if thou shalt confess... With thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, the Lord to that audience would have, that's God, the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we certainly made the point very distinct and very straightforward that If you're planning to go to the Father, God the Father, there is absolutely no possible way for you to get there except through the Son. No way. It's impossible. Let's go back to your Bibles now into Luke chapter 12. And as we've... The one verse that's so succinctly... I say it numerous times... uh, uh, one of the places I often say it is in, at a funeral is John chapter 14, verse 6. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh from the Father except through me. Now, let's go back. If, if you've noticed, Jesus has taken uh, uh, this whole pic, this frame. This is what we wanted to continue to focus on. Verses 1 through 12 of Luke chapter 12 is revealing Beware of hypocrisy. And then he's saying the only way to defeat that is to fear God, to confess the Son, and then so that we have... It's a Trinitarian evaluation. Okay? We have God the Father, God the Son. Now watch what he says about the Spirit. 
This verse may have actually troubled. But let's pick up the same. Let's pick up uh, verse eight and nine. This would uh, reflect and and review for us the Son. Also, I say unto you, this is Jesus's words: Whosoever shall confess me, in case in case they were wondering who the Son of God is, uh, who shall whosoever is going to confess me? This is my word, me. Okay. Before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. Do you see who he's addressing this to? He's addressing to the disciples, those learners in that group that want to know more about him. He says, this is who I am. And then verse 9, but he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And we've used supporting scripture to prove the fact that you're not going to get to God except through Jesus. Now watch verse 10. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man... That's Jesus. It shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth, there's that word, against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. Whoa! What does that mean? Has that verse ever bugged you? I've heard a hundred. How do you blaspheme the Holy Spirit? I don't want to do that, right? And I've heard it very simply said this, and it's deeper than this. Uh, some have responded, well, if you're concerned about it, you're okay. Okay, have you heard it that way? Maybe you have. Okay, but there's something more. See, when we keep our context, it's much deeper than that. It's much, much deeper than that. Jesus has said you need to fear God because he's the one that can literally eternally send you to hell. He is that powerful, that strong, that awesome. And you can't get to the Father unless you confess me, Jesus. And then he says in this verse, he says, and whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. And you say, why is that okay? Well, let's take and take this word. I've got blasphemer on the board here. But... Let's take that. What does that mean? What does that really mean? What does the blaspheme? What, I mean, you know, that's a big word, isn't it? You usually don't pull that one out of the box unless it's a big deal, right? Maybe you never pull it out of the box. <laughs> don't even want, whoa, let's stay away from that one. What does blaspheme or blasphemer mean? What does it mean? Let's take a shot at it. To say a word against God. That, that's Actually, that's, that's good. What else? To reject. To offend. To deny. You see what I'm saying? Now, you say, well, wait a minute. How come it's okay to do that with Jesus? Well, I'll be honest here. There's, probably, there's not a person in this room that has trusted Christ as Savior. That your lives prior to coming to that decision to trust Christ that you couldn't have been called a blasphemer because anything that is against, to say a word against, to deny, to reject, to forget, to for, you don't want any part of it, that's really what it means. We were all blasphemers before we accepted Christ. That's the only way you come to Christ. There's a before and there's an after. And as, as bad, and you've probably never heard it said that way, but literally before Christ, if you don't know him, you're dead in sins and you are a blasphemer of Jesus. It's just who we are. And thank goodness it's there. You can do that, and you can still be saved. But then he goes on to say that. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven him. 
Whoa. Why not? Right? Why not? Isn't, aren't we talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? So if, we, if it's okay for the, God the Son, why isn't it okay with God the Spirit? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. He's the revealer. God the Father is the judge. God the Son is the Savior. The Holy Spirit is the revealer. He reveals the truth. So let's go. Let's, let's get your Bibles. <clears throat> oh, let's stop this for a minute. Let's ask ourselves another question. So the only way you can get to the Father, I've been pounding this for several minutes, the only way you can get to the Father is through the Son. Let's add on to that. The only Exactly right. Now, if you reject, deny, neglect, say against the Spirit, you can't come to the truth of being saved. You see, you couldn't possibly get to the Son without the Holy Spirit revealing the plan of salvation. There's people, there's people, now, we're going to look into some situations where, even illustrations of this. But that's one of the things that's so important, really, in the world we find ourselves living in. For literally hundreds of years, it's been a desire for for, for, uh, translation agencies that are trying to translate the Bible so that everyone can hear the Word of God. Let's go to Romans chapter 10 for a moment. We were already there once, but let's go to Romans chapter 10. And this is a verse we'll continue to use because it's the Holy Spirit that tells us about Jesus. Where did I tell you to go? I've already, I'm on a different page in my mind. Uh, oh, uh, Romans chapter 10. Very good. Turn with me down to verse 17. <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Oh my goodness. So faith can only come by hearing the word of God. So who wrote the word of God? Let's turn to, uh, I think I'm right. Let's turn to second. I don't know if it's first or second. I'll be there. Go to the Peters, okay? We'll try First Peter first. No, no, I'm wrong. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one, and verses twenty and twenty-one. Now I want you to watch carefully what it says. Second Peter chapter one. We'll start in verse twenty. Knowing, are you all there? I hear pages rustling. Second Peter chapter one, verse twenty. Here we go. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the word of God, that scriptures that you hold with your hands, literally came from the Holy Spirit. And if you neglect, deny, reject the word of God that the Holy Spirit Reveal Jesus to us. Remember last week we went to one of the, one of the most concise and succinct passages of Scripture that de- declare for us the gospel of Jesus Christ 
is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried the third day and, and, and was risen from the dead according to the Scriptures. There isn't anything more concise, more succinct, and that is the Holy Spirit using the written word that He inspired in the minds of holy men that wrote exactly what He wanted to say. And when we reject that, there's no hope. You can't possibly get to Jesus without the Scriptures. Yes? Some people say that I'll get saved later when I want to. And uh, that's pretty dangerous to say. Very, very dangerous. In fact, we're going to go to Hebrews in a little bit. Ernie's going to... That's, let's just, in fact, don't let me forget that. Let, we're going to go to Hebrews. I want to look at a passage of Scripture that... That is extremely important. And I've heard it a number of times. Oh, I'm going to wait till later in life. I'm going to, right now I've got some stuff I want to do. I've got some fun I want to be part of. And then later on, I'll just trust Jesus later. Oh, my goodness. That's deadly, deadly poison. Because you don't know how resistant, how calloused one becomes to the Spirit of God as you keep rejecting it and rejecting it. And I don't know where that line is, but God does. And there's some today that are walking the face of this earth. I'm not here to say who they are, but there are some that no longer is the Holy Spirit able to reveal to them the truth. They've shut it off so many times. They can't hear the truth anymore. I was amazed, even in this week. Now, I'm not... I'm not saying who this might be, but I was, I'm amazed anymore in our country. Because the one thing, I, and I'll say about this, I guess to my dying day, is the biggest travesty that's happened in the United States is when we threw truth out the door. That we couldn't know truth for all people, for all times, and all places. When we, when we discarded that, then anybody's truth is okay for them. And that is the biggest diabolical lie that Satan could have possibly passed on to anyone anywhere. Because if there's not truth, then anything we believe becomes truth. I'm amazed, even in the impeachment proceedings, on both sides of that issue, they both see it as the truth. It can't be both true. It's impossible. I don't even need to tell... I don't even even need a position. I can tell you this. A cannot equal B. If they're both saying opposite things, it's impossible. It's impossible. And yet, because we've distanced ourselves from truth, anything's possible. Isn't that crazy? And that's how deluded we become. Romans chapter 1, that's another. You you need to read Romans chapter 1 every so often because it talks about what's happened to our nation. It's crazy, but it's about truth. It's about truth. Let's keep going. Um, okay, I'm not quite... You keep, you keep saying that. Yeah, you keep telling me that. Let's go, uh, let's go to 1 John first. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And we'll look at verse 1. Because, for instance, even in, in today, is, you know, there's a lot of different opinions. There's a lot of different truths, shall we say. Maybe even a lot of spirits. The Holy Spirit told me to. Have you, have you ever heard somebody that killed somebody? God told me to. 
Oh, really? <laughs> so let's, let's look at uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit. That's good advice. But try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out in the world. And you say, okay, great. How do we do that? Well, that's, that's good advice, right? <laughs> Let, let's test the spirits. Not everyone that says what is truth or everything they hear is right. Look at verse, verse 2. Hereby know you the spirit of God. Here it is. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Where have you have heard that it should come and even now already it is in the world? There again, what does it say about Jesus Christ? What does it say about salvation? What does it say about all of those things surrounding Jesus Christ? If it does not line up with Scripture, it is not the Holy Spirit speaking. Now, interestingly enough, you also know that if you can't quite make the Bible say what you want it to say, then just make another Bible. Change the words. Make it fit what you want to believe, right? Happens all the time. What do you do with that? Not throw it away. Is that what you said? Yeah, perfect. Perfect. There's two possibilities. Either it's true from the Spirit of God or it's a lie from the Spirit of the Antichrist. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. No middle ground. Christology, that's a term, a theological term. That's the test, is that Jesus is God, Savior, and Lord, and it's the Holy Spirit that reveals that to you. We've already read Romans chapter 10, verse 17. We've been in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. It's the Spirit that gives us life. Let's read this verse. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter... But of the Spirit. For the letter of the law killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. If you've trusted Jesus Christ, the life has come through the Spirit. Uh, turn, turn with me back to John. We've talked about John chapter 3. Turn to John chapter 3 and verse 5. Watch what he says to Nicodemus. We've talked about him just a few moments ago. But John chapter 3 and verse 5. John 3 verse 5. John 3 5. I'll be there in a second. There we go. <clears throat> in fact, let, let's just start in verse 1. Uh, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Aha! A man of the Pharisees. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, that means teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest. Did you see that now? Did you see that? He's allowing, Nicodemus allowed the miracles and signs and wonders to point to the things that Jesus said about himself. You see, that's pretty cool. That's why, that's, by the way, that's why it happened that way. Let's keep going. Jesus answered and said, And verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, how, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb to be born? He missed it, didn't he? Just zoom. Verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, capital S, 
He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Did you see what he said? Life comes from the Holy Spirit. Comes from the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. 1 Peter 1, 23 says this, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, how? By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And what, how did the word of God come about? From the Holy Spirit who spake in the holy men as they wrote it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Oh, my goodness. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, what do you know about the Corinthians? All right, not very much, apparently. <laughs> Boy, there's no getting around you, is there? That was pretty good. They're from Corinth. The Corinthians were from Corinth. Okay, okay. can we go just a little deeper than that? What else do you know? Why did Paul write the letter to the, to the Corinthians? What are they called? There's a word that we kind of use or have used a fair bit. The, the Corinthians were... Well, they were from Corinth, of course, but what else do we know? The Corinthians were carnal, weren't they? Now, if you went back and you looked into the city's past and their history, filled with paganism. I mean, just an amazing amount of paganism. And so some of the things they have actually resorted to, and it was part of their growing up. They, they didn't really probably know any better, but there's a word that's used, um, euphoria. And we get from that enthusiasm. It's an ecstatic experience. And remember, remember what it said, uh, that's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Now, the reason that he uses that would be very much the same what would have been happening in Corinth. One of the things that they would be doing was to either use drugs, they would be using alcohol, they would be using different ways to get to a out-of-their-mind, if you will, out of almost an out-of-mind experience. They thought they could commune with God. That was a paganistic view. They could commune with God at a higher level and relationship if they were in this euphoric stage and that's really what was behind all... And then that's why they had all of these uh, priestesses uh, and the, 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 uh, the, the prostitutes. All of the, it's all of this, this euphoric experience allows me to get closer to God. As weird as that sounds, that's literally what drove a lot of the religious activities in that day and age. That was really how it worked. So now let's go to, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And they were actually using their spiritual gifts along that way. Let's dive in now. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Now, what he's speaking of right there was just what I talked about. Literally, they were taken by a a euphoric experience and literally wherever that idol took them. I mean, it it was just led around by this very ecstatic experience. But he said, that's not what spiritual gifts are for. Watch verse 3. Verse 3. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, calleth Jesus accursed. Now, in some of those pagan uh, circumstances, which actually, again, uh, there's there's hypocrisy within every church as well, aren't aren't there? Absolutely. 
So he, he's saying this, the Spirit of God would never be using someone with a spiritual gift to say that Jesus is accursed. That doesn't line up with what the Word of God says. We know that's false. Regardless of the ecstatic experience, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of the emotion, none of that matters if we get the wrong message. Now watch, keep going. And that no man, watch now, that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, watch, but by the Holy Spirit. I, you need to underline that verse. I, I never like people to mark up their Bible. That one you need to know because you know what? There's no way you'll ever find Jesus Christ as your Savior except by the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what that verse says. You cannot call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's that big a deal. What is Jesus saying? You need to fear God the Father. That was in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The last part of verse 3. Last part of verse 3. No man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Very, very powerful. Fundamental verse to know. Let's go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 and verse 28. It's amazing how the, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit... Is remark, it, it's just so condensed in the sense of salvation. Mark chapter 3, verse 28. This is, uh, actually fits along the line. That it's, it's just Mark's perspective of what Luke is saying. Mark chapter 3, verse 28. Verily, Jesus' words again, Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. In other words, against me. But he that shall blaspheme or reject to deny against the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost shall never forgiveness, but is in the danger of eternal damnation. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit that gives the truth about Jesus. There's no way to get to Jesus except through the Holy Spirit. There's no way to get to Father except through the Son. It is a Trinitarian viewpoint. It's one the notes in my Bible it goes along with what you're saying. It says that blasphemy is, is, is attributing to the attributing to Satan the work of the Holy Spirit. That, and that's exactly right. That is exactly right. Exactly right. And anything that takes away from the Word of God is literally the spirit of Antichrist. What do they say about Jesus? See, that's that's the biggest for me. What? Do you say about Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? If you say he's not fully man, I'm out. If you say he's not fully God, I'm out. If he's not God the Son, I'm out. If he's not God with us, I'm out. If there's some other way to get to the Father than Jesus, I'm out. Why? Because the Scripture declares those things to be so. And that's how we're actually to determine what is to be. He's the revealer of truth. No way to be saved except through the testimony of the Spirit. Um, bum, bum, bum. Let's go to Luke chapter 3. Where, where do I have you now? Mark chapter 3. Let's go to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 and let's try verse 22. Luke 3.22. Luke 3.22. You'll see the impact that Jesus' ministry... This was when he was, he was baptized. Right, let, let's back up just a little bit. Uh, bum, bum, bum. 
Verse 21. Here we go. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus, also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit, I'm sorry, the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, which said, thou art my beloved son in thee. I am well pleased. Now turn right over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Down to verse 14. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame about Him throughout the region around about. From, from that time when the Holy Spirit literally came upon Jesus Christ, the power, the strength, the miracles, the wonders, the signs, all of that came about because he was strengthened from the Holy Spirit. empowered him to confess the fact of who he was, that you could not get to God the Father except to the Son. And those that would reject the message of the Holy Spirit could not come to the Son. It's all tied together. Then turn uh, Acts chapter 10. Are you guys getting tired of turning your Bibles? All good stuff, though. It ties together. That's what we need to know. We need to know what does the Bible say. Because that's the Holy Spirit working, using the written word, working internally with us. That's why some... Have you heard an error sometimes? Have you heard something that's erroneous? Sure you have. You've heard... Oh, today? I hope not. That's what, oh, not today. I hope not today. But have you heard something in the world that's erroneous? You know why? Because it's the word of God. The Holy Spirit is using... That's wrong. That's not what the Spirit says. That's the Holy Spirit's power that's literally directing you the right way. Show me somebody that does not know Jesus Christ personally. What do we know about that person? We know they do not have the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, can you imagine trying to navigate through this world? Oh, my goodness. It's impossible. It really is. It's just all over the place. You have no way. You just, I don't know. I give up, right? There's a whole lot of people today that are giving up. And that's why we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal the truth to them. They'll never find Jesus. Until the Holy Spirit reveals it to them. Now, again, Ernie, where were we going to go sometime later today? Hebrews, Hebrews, that's right. Okay, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. I was just checking. Let's go to Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Jesus, I'm sorry, Peter is, uh, is, is preaching here. Verse 38. And I know I'm just diving into a verse, but you can read the context around it. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Do you see it? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost is what was empowering God the Son. Turn to John chapter 14. Back to John for a moment. John 14, verse 26. You guys are going to have so many verses that you won't even know what to do with them all, right? John 14, 26. This is Jesus' words. Now, he's actually telling the... See, here... Let's uh, just stop with me for a moment now. You turn there and then stop. So, we're at the... We're kind of winding down the ministry of Jesus. We've been around three years. What do you think the disciples are doing? Oh, man, we're, we're, getting, we're getting close. We're going to take those Romans, and we're going to show them who's boss. We're going to be, Jesus is going to be king, and I'm going to be in the cabinet. I'm going to be the defense of recreation or something, right? I mean, I'm going to be on this. I'm going to be excited about what God's doing because we're going to be in the kingdom age. And then he says something like this. Oh, uh, beloved, I'm going to be leaving you. 
Knock it off. Stop it. Don't say that stuff. But I said, but this was going to happen. It's good that I leave you because the comforter, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to reveal all truth to you. We don't want him. We want you. Now, from our perspective, how amazing it is what the Holy Spirit brought to the church, right? It's crazy. In fact, without the comforter coming, then the Holy Spirit could not be doing what he's doing today. If you're in this room or in the, in the, in the uh, hearing my voice anywhere in the world, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit we've been talking about for the last 20 or 30 minutes lives within you, and he ain't going nowhere. He is the one, and then the more you read the word, his, the written word, the more determined and the more clear your pathway becomes, not even if you listen to him, but when you let that go, that's how he does his power. In fact, there's a verse, uh, I don't know if I should go here right now, let, let, we will. First Corinthians, first, where did I have you right now? Let's just stop there. Well, let's finish that. But don't let me forget First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. Okay, somebody just remember that, don't let me, let me forget that one. Uh, John, where did I have you? 14? Verse 26. Okay, so this is, he's speaking to disciples who say, we don't want you to leave. Okay, watch. Verse 25. We'll start there. These things have I, Jesus speaking, have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. I'm still here, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, in case they didn't get that figured out, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. You know, all of the things that Jesus talked about in those three years, I think most of it went zoom right over their head. Right over their head. And you know what? When the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 1 at Pentecost, that's what Jesus meant by that. Who, where did that come from? The Holy Spirit. How can you sometimes just look at seeing a situation and say, well, that's not right. Where do you think that comes from? The Holy Spirit that lives within you. He's the gift that keeps on giving, that we forget to be thankful for. He's amazing. Now, you're in John, so let's turn over to just one more chapter. Chapter 15, verse 26. 15, 26. Jesus' words again, just a little bit later. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father... He shall testify of me. If you know somebody that needs to be saved, the only way that person will be saved is through the revealing of the, of, of the Holy Spirit. There's no, that, the Bible is just... Con, is that not convinced you yet? That's what I'm hoping for. You're probably hoping, let's stop sometime there, Larry. But the Bible is full of making sure we understand that. Now, uh, as promised... Uh, let's go to 1 Thessalonians, and then we're going to go to Hebrews. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. There's something that, a uh, very short verse, but very, very powerful. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Three very, actually four verses, that, actually the rest of the, uh, the, the chapter is actually just short verses. Verse 16 says, Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Verse 19, quench not the Spirit. Verse 20, despise not prophesying, or despise not preaching. Where does one preach from? 
the Word of God. How do you quench the Spirit? By literally denying or rejecting the Word of God. Someone that comes across and denies... The, now, that, that's a scary thing. You find, and for me, I always want to... My, my disclaimer for everything is, this is what the Scripture says. doesn't matter what I say. doesn't matter what I think. doesn't matter what I feel. doesn't matter what Paul thinks. doesn't matter what any of you think. What does the Scripture say? Well, I don't believe the Bible. Can't help you. The Holy Spirit's going to have to do the work. I can't, I can't get you there. Once you believe the Scripture, then we can talk. But literally, that's where it stops. I'm not going to try to... I cannot debate. I cannot help. I cannot bring anyone closer to Jesus Christ if they don't believe the Scripture. That's where faith cometh. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. That's a Holy Spirit project. And then I usually say, I'm going to pray for you. I would like for you to take the Bible, take it apart any way you want, prove that it's untrue. But don't let somebody else do it for you. You do it. You take it apart. You test it. Because God will show himself. He will show himself if you're seeking him. Now, if you've already predetermined, I have a, there's a guy that, you know, we, we, we debate. I haven't seen him in quite a while, actually. But, you know, we'll debate about all that stuff. And he just said, I, you know, I don't believe any of that stuff. I said, I have a question. And, and, and this didn't happen quickly. This was over several hours, several occasions. I said, here's what I'm concerned about. I said, I need you to answer this question. For you, not for me. It doesn't matter what you say to me, but for you. I said, if there is a God, would you be ready to accept him? Totally destroy him. He just, no, of course the answer was no. You see, he predetermined, made up his mind, no matter what, I refuse to believe. That is unforgivable in a continued state of mind. Now, as long as there's a breath within you, in the deepest heart of hearts that you have, with a moment left, when you bow your heart, if you will, God is there. For he would have all to come to repentance. But if you continue to deny, to reject the word of God, there's no forgiveness. That's what that verse is all about. That's what that verse is all about. So let's go to uh, Hebrews, and let's look at a couple of illustrations. And we have to be careful here. The, it's, uh, there's a lot of stuff going. Let me find Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 6. And verse 4. Uh, chapter 6. Passage, but nonetheless, let's take a shot at it. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the, whole, of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Now you say, whoa, let's talk about a few words. Okay, so let's talk about the word enlightened. What does that word mean there? Let's just take that phrase by itself. Verse 4, chapter 6, it says, it is impossible for those, now don't worry about the impossible part, for it, but for those who were once enlightened. Okay, let me give you an example of that. Let's say that... Uh, Someone came through this door, and you'd never heard of Jesus Christ. This guy comes in, and he says, have you guys ever heard of Jesus? Never heard of him. Oh, you can see the lights going on that guy, right? He says, let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus Christ came to this earth, and actually, in, a Bi in the Bible, which is God's word, it's actually inspired by the Holy Ghost. It says that it is. 
And in 1 Corinthians, one of the books in the Bible, it says that Jesus died for our sins, yours and mine, according to the Scriptures. And He was dead and buried for three days, and then He rose from the dead. That's who Jesus is. Well, there may be a whole lot more questions, but you know what's happened to your mind right now, having never heard of Jesus? It's enlightened. Intellectually, you have heard something you've never heard before. And it is the good news. It's the gospel. There's, right? It's almost like a, what? Okay. Let's go to the next one. Verse 4. Who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. In other words, as if you've almost, you've heard this offer of grace and mercy. You've heard of it and you can almost sense it. I know a lot of people, I'm coming back to what Ernie said before. Don't reject that opportunity when the Spirit is working, 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 working. I know a lot of people that have just literally just clenched their teeth to not partake of what God is wanting to offer. That grace is right there. And you can, you can literally taste it. But you've not taken it. You couldn't make it any plainer. You couldn't make it any clearer. You've tasted but you haven't taken. Let's go to the last one. Verse 4. And we're made partakers of the Holy Spirit. Partakers. Not possessing, but again, right on the edge of knowing what the Spirit is doing. I mean, he's so close, and yet the resistance of your will has put him off. To partake, but not possess. Very fine line. So what have we described? We have described someone that has had the full package on display, literally in living color. Now let's keep reading. Verse 5. And have tasted the good word of God. Again, it's, it's right along the same line. And the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away... To renew them again under repentance. Now, now we've got to go back and see what's impossible. Let's tie that together. Now, we've talked about the descriptions of those words. Now, let's read the passage together and let's see something. This ties in an illustration with the fact that if you reject and blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you cannot be forgiven. Now, let's read it, watching it in its fullest color now. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened intellectually and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God. I mean, this is full display. And the powers of the world come, comma, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. If you don't take what is laid out for you, there's no way to find repentance. There's no way. Do you see the power of what Jesus, is, what Jesus said? That's extraordinarily. That you can see it. It's really, it's almost gripping emotionally, isn't it? When someone that you love, someone that you don't even know, when they take the word of God, they take the gospel, they take the gift of the Holy Spirit that's displayed... You can't get to the Father except through the Son, and you can't get the Son and unless you go through the Spirit. And then watch verses 11 and 12 of Luke chapter 12. 
And when they bring you onto the synagogues and onto magistrates and powers, take you no thought how and what thing you shall answer or what you shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. What is he saying? Literally, who's he talking to? He's talking to those learners, those would-be disciples. And he know, they know. They know. If, you're, if you're a Jew living in Israel in that day, the Pharisees run the country. And if you're going to take Jesus, everybody knows this at this point. Now, this, what's really happening is we're in a, a period of decline. The Jesus rallies are going to go down in number. Not because he doesn't know, not because he's right, because people can't take the chance because they're fearful of men. They're fearful of the Pharisees. And he says, you know what? When they, they will, when the Jews bring you to the synagogues. And what does that mean? Actually, we could go into Acts. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to spare you. But Paul, who was called Saul, you know what his job was? He was a Pharisee. Do you know what his job was to go to a synagogue? And they could, they could, they could uh, whip them up to 40 times. That was church discipline back there. <laughs> right? How are you guys doing? And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have church discipline hour. And it's been found that a couple of you have been needful of 40 lashes. So anyone wanting to view, we'll be outside here as we tie them to the post. And we'll be giving them, you know why they said 39 lashes? Because it was against the law to go over 40. So they wanted to make sure that they didn't go over 40. So they only gave them 39. There was two that would count it. When they got to 39, that was enough. That was church discipline. In the synagogue. Whoa. <laughs> Do you see what Jesus is saying? Do you see why people were fearful of the Pharisees? Aha. But what he had just laid out is he said, you know what? You need to really fear God because he's the one. Let's review. What are the three things? Number one. That was the last one. What was the first one? Everything will be revealed. Hypocrites, spiritual hypocrites will go to hell because God's the one that will send them there. And as Ernie just said, he knows everything. And that's the God you must fear. And you need to confess the son. That's me. That's me, Jesus. Not me, Larry. As he's saying this, it's Jesus. You have to confess that. You have to honor me because you can't get to the Father except through me. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know this 30, 40, 50,000 people. He says, I'm going to tell you something else. If you don't accept the word of God, the Holy Spirit revealing the Son of God, there's no hope for you. But then he goes on to say, when they drag you in here and they want to lash you, and you're wondering, am I going to stick it out? Have you ever thought yourself, let's, let's break away to you for a moment, that if we get to the point of persecution in the United States of America, which seems almost possible anymore, it's against the law to do a lot of things that the Bible says are wrong. How long until they drag us and imprison us and persecute us? Have you ever thought about, am I, am I going to be able to withstand? Am I, am I, you know, what am I going to say? Am I strong enough? No, you're not strong enough. No, you're not strong enough. But what is it was within those? I speak, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, situations have been in China and Russia. And somebody comes in from the KGB and says, all of those that are, you, that are Christians, are that, that are not a Christian, this is the time for you to leave. And in every, almost every case, some of them scamper out. They were hypocrites. And the rest... We're Jesus's. Those disciples, those martyrs, you read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, what a tremendous book to watch those that stood the test. In fact, there's those that have actually written to John Calvin 
They were back and forth, and they were condemned to die. And there was five of them. They said, John, what do we do? Are we going to, are we going to be strong enough to, to, to stay with our Savior? John said, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will guide your words. That's, it's off of this passage of Scripture. 